Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Joey, and today Paulie and I are joined by a good old mate of ours, Michael Pillen, to talk about building his brand, Famous Sotico. Pillen is a close friend. He's been training in the gym with us for many years, and he's been building Famous Soda for the last six years or so. Now, it's a big brand. It's all over the world. It's in major supermarkets. It's extremely successful. But today's chat was really to try and get into some of the darker sides or the more challenging aspects of building such a business. Now, what's fascinating to learn is that Michael's actually done this more or less on a shoestring, and he's really open about sharing what the challenges have been along the way. And I think there's a lot of really good lessons and a lot of uh, knowledge to be taken from hearing his journey for any small business owner. So I hope you get a lot out of it. It was a real pleasure to have that chat with him. Um, And hey, while I got you, please show us a bit of love. A couple of things I'd love you to do. If you dig the episode and you like the show, please just share this episode with a friend of yours. Helps to support the show, helps to get the word out there about the JB podcast. And the other thing that you could do would be to leave us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you use. So Spotify, Google, Apple, leave us the five stars, leave it a review. It goes a long way, lets others know about it and helps to support this thing. Thank you. Please enjoy today's chat with Michael Pillen. Pillen, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Um, could you, I think the coolest thing, could you give the hype piece for Famous and for what you do? Tell us all about it, the success, the fucking, give us like the, the marketing pitch. The elevator? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but talk about like the, you know, the what people see of it and it's, and it's big wins. Yeah, okay. So I think Famous Sodico is now the leading sugar-free or natural soda brand in Australia. We went out with sort of, I guess, a mission statement as a company to sort of attack that space because nobody was doing like a really cool brand but was doing a really delicious product and was nailing all those sort of key elements. Bloody delicious, super cool, you know, using the best quality ingredients. 100% natural was really kind of rare at that stage as well. So we wanted to sort of hit that 100% natural. But our sort of mission statement as a company was like, we're going to start a sugar-free soda that tastes just like a soda and we're not going to sacrifice on anything. And if we can't get it to that point, and we're super proud of that point and we can go to market with a product like that, we're not going to do it. That's going to be our point of difference. We know there's a lot of people in the space that were just doing a sugar-free soda because they were servicing a need, but nobody was actually really pioneering a brand, which is obviously going to pioneer a category, which is obviously going to pioneer loyalty, which is going to just you know add a lot of value to that sugar-free game and not make it something that people are having as an alternative or a better choice, but make it the new norm. We wanted to pioneer it as the new norm. So six years ago, we, we sort of went into R&D. Nine months, we travelled the world looking for, um, after an acquisition of our previous beverage brand, which was Two Italian Boys, which is a wine brand, which you guys know. Mm-hmm. So we got that, that was eventually acquired. Who's we? Uh, me and my mum, actually. So my mum's my business partner. Fucking cool. She's, uh, yeah, super cool. Something I'm very proud of. My mum's sort of somewhat of a branding guru. Um, and she's worked with some incredible people all around the world. And you know, it's a very cool thing to have your mum in your back corner because you're never looking over your shoulder you're kind of making decisions in parallel, but you're running your own sort of two fields because I'm sort of business strategy and implementation where she's sort of brand and product development. So we live in we live in two different lanes and we only meet in the middle for the big decisions. So, you know, it allows your relationship to stay strong. Um, yeah, which is the most important thing to me is to keep that relationship strong. But you're both sort of battling over in your corners and, and sort of going, you know, going towards driving a, 
a certain result, you know, whatever it might be. So, yeah, so Famous Sotoko, we birthed after being in beverage and we did some really big things in the booze space. And we wanted to do something that was probably more in line with where we're at at life and who we are and what we're kind of doing and what our focuses were. And that was always more like, let's do something natural. Let's, like, kind of do something. Let's sort of change. Let's make something that is a bit more of a legacy piece but is also something you can leave and sort of be really proud of, you know, because type 2 diabetes you know, the plethora of healthy, you know, issues through the overconsumption of refined sugars and all that was just like, it was strife, like it was crazy. And we looked at the sugar-free space and we're like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? We got back into food, we got back into this, we got back into that. And we're like, I was like, no, no, nothing just really feels right. Nothing's really just making me, nothing's sort of really setting out, setting that passion back on fine. We're both very passion-driven. Um, so then sugar-free, sugar-free, sugar-free everywhere we went once we started diving back into beverage. was on everybody's lips. So then we went travelling the world, spoke to some of the best biochemists in the world, people that work with Coke, people that work with natural brands, kombucha brands, blah, 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 Japan, America, Switzerland. And we were just like, nobody's doing something that is rock and roll and is absolutely delicious. They said, it's all bullshit. It's all just feeding a need and nobody's really actually gone that extra length to create something that's delicious, sexy, and fun that people that we can make sort of the new norm. So, well, so you're saying like for with the products that were on offer, were they just not great products? Yeah, so bad, uh, bad nutritive sweeteners. They weren't. 100%. Are you talking stevia and yeah, stuff so like that? Yeah, so but talking cheap grades, and there's a real stigma around stevia because a lot of people are using a lot of, sh- you know, excuse my language, but shit stevia, right? Chemically broken down. Not, not like really quite pure, you know, ours is all naturally or naturally fermented, derived from the stem, you know what I mean? So our process is super pure and the purity and, and you know, the quality is just, you know, is, is remarkable. The ones that we use, we, it's all organic. Um, and and that's, that, that sort of gave stevia a bad rap because most of that stevia you find on like a, a table, for example, in the sugar sachets, it's usually a chemically broken down product, has an aftertaste, which is the, I guess, the the main sticking point with consumers with stevia. Um, so we just found a balance between stevia and erythritol, a, a way to source certain ingredients from certain pockets of the world after being on the road for nine months. And we put Famous together and, you know, comfortably say that it's, you know, it tastes just like any normal sugary sort of soda brand out there. You get the same fix. You have that old shit moment because you drink it and you turn around, can't believe it has sugar, has eight calories, it's 100% natural. It's the first sugar. It's the first soda that can really be given to children comfortably and ethically, versus just a marketing ploy. Um, so yeah, there's some you know things that we're really proud of, and that was kind of a, we, I wanted to have a legacy piece after having you know successful beverage brands and stuff like that, and wanted to do something that I could was was proud of, like being in the booze game is a lot of fun. You know, you're always at parties and doing this, and you know co-branding opportunities and this, and you grow up to great heights and all the rest of it, but it's you know it's not fulfilling. And we got to a point where I was like, I want to do something fulfilling, but like not take anything. Away. I, you know, I want to create a great business, but I want to do something fulfilling and something we're proud of and leave somewhat, you know, somewhat of a legacy. But we want to do it our way with that little bit of rock and roll flair, a little bit of sexiness, you know, and, and make something for everybody. And yeah, as the market sort of swung, no, I think no sugar consumption here of like Coke, for example, even though that's non, non, it's not a natural product, is nearly on par with Coke consumption now. Wow. So that shows the market shifting. But even Coke spent $66 million. Coke Amatol here in Australia spent over $60 million reportedly on trying to create a natural product, but they're not not believable as a natural brand. They're believable as a brand that's been killing people (coughs) for years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's hard, right? So that that opens up the door, people like us who do great branding, great product. Um, 
so yeah, like and after six years on the market now in Australia, we're the market leading uh, brand. We're now in fourteen countries. Um, yeah, and you know it, it comes down to me and my mum being you know formidable team. Yeah, having a work ethic that's unquestioned. Um, we do it on a shoestring budget, which you guys know is really really hard. You know, it's a bunch of pe- bunch of the boys pull money, family members pull ten grand here, twenty grand here, thirty grand here. And we do it up against some really big giants that come after us. So you guys never took investment from, from outsiders? No, no, never took on investment, sort of family funded. Amazing. Yeah, sort of like, you know, bootstrap it. I yep. guess that's terminology people would be pretty familiar with in investment. So yes, pretty much bootstrapped. Uh, we are going through a cycle in the US at the moment looking for investment because that's a big animal. But I've, 50, I'm, I've got one foot in the door in America, one foot out. I'm at a stage in my life where I don't know if I want to take on investment. I don't want to take on partners. I don't want to answer to people. I've been doing this a long time. And you just get to a – I guess your, your priorities change as a human being, as somebody who wants to have a family, as somebody who's going to settle down, is, has, a, has a, you know, I've got a wonderful fiancé. You know, your priorities change. And I don't know if you want to go through that, trying to be, you know, this big thing and, you, you know, beverage and stuff. I just think it's the evolution of, of being in business for a period of time and, you know, your brand cycling where you want to be and where you want to see yourself, you know. What would you um, – tell us what the – the characteristics, like the, the benefits are of going shoestring versus taking on investment? Like what, what, what are the two different routes there? How do they look? Yeah, it's a good question. It depends on your environment. So let me, I'll give you two scenarios. Let's use US as a scenario and Australia as a scenario. So if you take on investment in Australia, because we've got, a, you know, we've got 25 million people per se, versus America, which has got 330, 330 million people. So you can take on investment in the US – Right, and you'll take on probably you go through two or three rounds of different inv- of investment stages while you're growing that brand. But in Australia, if you go through investment, you go through investment early without any distribution, brand equity, you know, some kind of core business, some sort of trading history, you're going to giving up the lion's share of your equity out of the gate, right? So basically, what you're basically doing is, in my opinion, and the way my mind registers this, you're basically buying yourself a job, right? with a very slim outcome of probably getting a really high-end acquisition at the end of it because you're going to be selling your business to somebody potentially in five, six, seven years if that's your goal, um, you know, with, with a very small opportunity in a small market. So you've ended up with 80, you know, let's say by the end of your first round of investment, you lost 60% equity, then you got in some little bit more, a little bit more. You ended up being CEO or director of a company with 10% equity. You probably owe a fair bit of money. You might get an acquisition probably, you know, around eight, nine, ten million bucks. You just worked your ass off for six years to make eight, you know, eight, nine hundred grand. You probably didn't pay yourself for the first two, three years of operation. Because you got 10% of that acquisition yeah, cost. Right. Whereas in America, you can go through that, but you could grow your business to worth 40, 50, 60 million dollars. You might own 10% of that equity at the end and go through, you know, six year period of growing this business. But you got 10% of something, you know what I mean? So that so the trade off there is your people are giving you money. They're saying, yeah, I want to invest, but yep. they want some ownership of the brand. So you're giving away a piece of that every time you want to get that cash. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that come out the gates and look for investment, like in the US, people go out and get investment, raise ups, raise ups, raise ups. But it depends on where you're at, and it depends if you've done it before. Like at my stage of my business career, I'd only look for investment if it was what I called it'd be. They'd have to be. It'd have to be skilled equity. So what I mean by that, they'd have to add value over and above what we already do in our business, and it can't just be money, because yeah. that's where I'm at in my stage. Whereas people coming out the gates, you know, looking for money, you know, don't really have money to get it off the ground for marketing, for resources, you know, for, for just general operating costs. 
you know, they're, they're probably going to give away a lot of the house and give away money and probably and probably get expensive money in, which means it's going to cost – that money's going to have a, 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 you know, a pretty big above-the-line cost. So there's just different stages of investment. Like I'm only looking at it now because I've got a five-year exit strategy that I want to work on and now there's certain points and sort of KPIs that, you have to get, that I've given myself to get to to get the certain results I want. But I know what that roadmap looks like and I know how to get to that roadmap – and that can take money or cannot take money. There's a certain way to go about it. So just depends on where you're at. It depends on if you're a startup. Depends if you're two years in. Depends if you're five years in. It's just different stages. And so then contrasting that, what does the shoestring approach look like? Or the bootstrap? <laughs> Fucking hard. <laughs> Fuck. Where do I start? Shoestring is tough. I mean, you got 100% though, right? Like yeah, it's, all, it's all in your hands. What, what is the value of 100% of nothing? It's a good question. It's nothing. Right, you got 100% of nothing is 100% of nothing. Right, so this is where I think people fall short. They don't do a lot of, they don't do a lot of research. They think I've got this great idea, I've got this great concept. I think I can kill it. You know, passions, passions a huge driver. Like I'm a hu- hugely passionate individual with a good work ethic, and that's probably 80% of my success. But the other 20% is a lot more strategic now. Whereas it used to be just, you know, strap me in put in fifth gear and let's go you just over time you just learn to be a little bit more strategic implement a little bit differently you know it's you have a different approach right so i think shoestring is incredibly hard but it just depends it depends on what your desired outcome is where you want where you want to be in five years you know is this is this a love project is this you know i'm transitioning out of being you know in the finance game or i'm transitioning out of being a corporate I want to go and do something in the health space, the better for you space. I want to grow my own beverage brand. I don't want to work for the man anymore. So that 100% of nothing can seem like 100% of everything to you because it's a lifestyle change as well. I just think for me it depends on your goals, right? It depends on where you want to be in five years and, 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 you know, what that outcome needs to look like. It doesn't always have to be about money. It can be about lifestyle. It can be about health. It can be about spending more time with your kids. Um, but let's be very clear, shoe strapping in my business, there is no time for anybody else. There's seven days a week grinding on the streets. You better be learning every every step along the way and you better be doing your research as well as doing your time in trade as well as, you know, doing your above the your above the line research and educating yourself on a day to day to day to day to day. Because you're working in an environment with twenty five million people up against some very big brands with some very big pockets. Um and you really need to have a big set of nuts on you, to be honest. Like, it's tough. It's, <laughs> it's not easy. And, I'm, I mean, bootstrapping typically, too, you're, not, you're often not uh, getting a wage, are you? At least in the early stage. You're not, you're not paying yourself. Bro, I just started paying myself super. Holy shit. I'm six years in. Yeah, right, right? on. In the last two years. I've, I've been working, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, pretty much. I started paying myself super uh, in my mid-30s. You know what I mean? So, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not... Um, it's not an easy road, and you've got to be up for it. You're definitely going to be up for it, definitely. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely tough. So that being the case, why did you choose to bootstrap? Because that's a good question. We bootstrap because we know we're really good at beverage, right? We, we were successful prior in a previous beverage brand. So for us, taking on investment is not a natural thought for us because we knew that we could be successful in this space because we've been successful in this space. So you go in with an air of confidence, uh, and you go in with you go in with you go in with assets and a, and a sort of how to do playbook in a sense. Even though it's not booze and it's better for you, you still have the same implementation strategy. You still have the same, 
you know, you still have some assets and turn a distribution network. You still have some manufacturing assets that you know people. You can still make a couple of phone calls. So you're already six or 12 months ahead than anybody else that's starting. So, mm. you know, that for us is there's, there's an air of confidence too when you've done it before, I guess. So is it about growing then? Um, so you've, you, know, you kind of create your own clout and respect and brand that has, you know, a lot of value for people and they see that. And then they approach you with contracts that they can help to expand your business instead of having an investor that's trying to get you there and in the case of say Coles was it yeah Coles Woolworths Coles we deal with all of them and they come in and say I got a contract it's worth this much and you negotiate is is that kind of what that road for bootlacing is yeah that's a good question so for us we took a different approach so a lot of people have what I call a machine gun strategy so when you let's talk let's keep it on bootstrap right because I think this is very very good for everybody so when you have a bootstrap mentality or a bootstrap budget, you have a machine. A lot of people have a machine gun distribution strategy. It's just like they go and spend 40, 50 grand on production. I've got to quickly sell it all so I can pay for the next production. So they have a machine gun strategy. Put it everywhere. Get the sales. You know, get the money in so I can do my second production run. You're already set up for failure, right? My strategy is have enough money to finance the first two or three productions and have a strategic have a strategic distribution strategy that is not just about sales and revenue but is also about brand equity because we're naturally brand builders and we know if we put our product in the right places get 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 the business within those stores what we call velocities means how many units per store per week you're doing we drive good positive velocities those people naturally talk about your product and you have an you have organic growth and then showing strong data in those in those stores allows you to go and leverage into a Coles and Woolworths, right? Whereas Coles and Woolworths will also come to startup brands and go, well, we need, a, we need something for this space. But then they'll absolutely kill you in terms of, you know, your marketing rebates, your co-op spend per beverage, you know, per skew, where it all looks great on the surface to these upstart brands, but there's just absolutely no money in it. So we said no to Coles and Woolworths for two years because we were really making a lot of noise in our space after 12 months. Because they don't also allow you to control your commercials, which what I mean is your price points. So for us, because mm. we're brand builders, it's very important for us to control our price points because Woolworths and, Woolworths and Coles can be a flash in the pan, but your general business, which is your independent grocers, your cafes and that, that's really got to be your core business and that's where you can sort of live and breathe forever. Um, so yeah, it's very important to control your commercials. What we, what we say is control our narrative. So we try to con- we can try to control our narrative in those majors, and we're one of the very few brands I would say that comfortably uh, comfortably can say that probably said no to them for a period of time because we're trying to build a brand here and not just try to build a business, which is it's a different mindset, I guess. That makes sense. It's kind of like um, we had a partner many years ago in the in the gym, in our first gym, and he really wanted us to get onto uh, was it Groupon, mm. and he's like, we've got to get on Groupon, we've got to get you know for like cheap sell cheap memberships. And we're like, no, that's fucked. Like, that's not the look that we want. But he's like, but that's how we're going to make money. And yeah, there's a case for both. But you, the like the discounted thing affects people's perception of your brand, doesn't it? Yeah. When you talk about brand equity and controlling the narrative, is that kind of what you're getting at? It's 100%. like controlling people's perception of famous. One hundred percent. And you can't grow a brand like I've been training off and on with you guys for ten years, right? But I keep coming back because the quality. 
right? The brand, like the quality of the product. I mean, the actual is gym right. itself is shit, but our marketing yeah. is really good. Mate, so. the, trainer, the trainers suck too, right? Abs but, but, <laughs> but the quality is good, right? And the community that you guys, are, uh, you guys have created, that is so rare in your space. And that's what keeps people coming back. You've got a community, but you've got a real quality, you know, you've got a quality product. Now, if, if somebody comes in and you're selling it cheap, you know, or you're doing these below the line big discounts and all the rest of it, what sort of brand equity are you getting from it, especially early on? You're not getting anything. Like I can trade now at a little bit. I can trade below the line occasionally and still keep my brand equity because we're everywhere. Right below the sense. line meaning a non-profitable promotion. Correct. Something that's going to cost you. Correct. But it might get you some, some marketing leverage. Yeah. Or so what it'll do, like in a Woolworth, let's use Woolworths as a cold scenario, just to finish answering your question, Paulie, is we have to do a below the lines because we have to we have to meet a certain run rate in these majors. So doing your below the lines means that it lifts your overall run rates for the year. So we might do four below the lines, which cost us five percent margin, right? That's loss making, but it'll keep our average our average velocities, our average units per store per week, at a at a certain level that keeps the category manager happy. Now they don't care how much margin you're making; they just care how many units you're moving per store per week because it's their real estate. Right, mm. so you know that's why it's very important to have a strong what we call general route trade business. Your cafes, your health food stores, all that keep them healthy and happy, because doing a lot of these above and below the line promotions with these majors, you know, it, it's tough. You know, and the margins by the end of the year when you look at your financials for these guys, it's super, it's super tight. Like, so you know, a lot of people just think Coles Woolworths. Wow, I got, I made, made it. it, mate. Wake up, I'll tell mm. you right now. Mm. Get your core business, get your core business, get your core business right, get your fundamentals right, get your team right, get everything right, and then that's just above the line cream, right? That's all it is. Talk, tell us about the overseas exploits of Famous. Yeah, yeah, cool. So a couple of huge wins we had. Uh, so after three or f- after during COVID period, we got interviewed a few times on New Sunrise. They did like a mother and son success stories on a couple of TV shows. And then we had um, shortly after we did that, we, we had this. We had a phone call from a guy in Korea, um, big distributor in Korea. You know, I get these phone calls every week, mate. You know, I want to order a container of stock. I got this. I got this. You know, this distribution network. I own this. I own that, mate. This is like a weekly occurrence. So we got this big phone call. We got this phone call from Korea. We were sort of doing a little bit of stuff in Southeast Asia, and we got this big. You know, this phone call, as I said, and. Came through and said, yeah, you know, mate, I've got this big distribution network, you know, over 3,000 stores, plus I've got another group that I deal with that's got 1,800-plus stores. I've got another group I deal with 1,100 stores. I'm like, yeah, okay, too good to be true. We were talking about this earlier. Too good. I'm a big like, realist. Too good to be true. <laughs> Hang up the phone, see you, buddy. Speak to you soon. Next thing you know, I get an email, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Next thing you know, I get a purchase order. Somebody sends me a purchase order for 24 40-foot containers of stock. How many? 24 40-foot containers of stock. Now, that's a lot of stock. That's a lot of stock. How many bottles of soda are we talking, roughly? Uh, so you're talking about 35,000 bottles of container, so times that by 24. So you're looking at, you're looking at around 800,000 bottles of soda. Jesus. Over, over, over four skews, over four lines. And I looked at this PO. I still remember opening up the email and looking at the PO, and I won't go into the dollar value at the bottom of the PO. I remember looking at this PO and just laughing and closing my email. Um, <laughs> but, you know, long story short, that sort of ended up being you know, the sort of catalyst for us to really launch the overseas arm. And South Korea is a really big part of that at the moment. We're obviously now in California and America, uh, we, you know, through the UAE, Philippines, Thailand, Singapore, 
uh, just breaking in New Zealand. New Zealand's been a bit of a long stretch because they hate Australian made on the product because all our products got Australian made on it. I don't so like that. super patriotic. Yeah, super mm. fu to Australia. Like where they because they like the small. That's kind of like the small brother. So Australian made, they just you know <laughs> hate yeah. it. So is there, who, who's ever on here and is a Kiwi? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, sort of breaking into those markets, and you know, Taiwan, Japan now is starting to kick off, and then just kick off in the new year. So, yeah, now we're rolling out from that success. We've decided to go well. Bev, the Bev business is super, super, super competitive here, and now everybody in kombucha is pivoting because everybody the kombucha market globally is down thirty percent. We never got into that space because we knew it was going to be in our hearts. We knew it was going to be a fad based. You think it peaked a bit and peaked and then so it's completely fab based. So a lot of the big brands are now pivoting into soda now. So coming into our category and we're noticing that with our range reviews of Coles and Woolies and Costco at the moment that they're all coming in and, you know, offering the house and, you know, trying to buy our space and everything. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of mini Coca Colas floating around us now as well. So yeah. so now what we've done as a brand and we thought well, where we're really strong is brand and, and product development and licensing out a brand. So what we're doing now is we've gone, well, we're the number one sugar-free or natural soda brand in the country. Why don't we just be the number one sugar-free or natural brand in the country? And let's go, what we do as a, as a company is we go after the typically really bad for you categories and give people a healthy alternative that's bloody delicious. Very simple formula, bloody hard to do, right? So now what we're doing is we're going into the sort of freezer ice cream section and also confectionery. So next month we're launching our sugar-free or natural uh, gummies, our lollies, and our sugar-free or natural icy poles to take on your brands like Zupa Duper and all that sort of stuff. So we look at these traditional big performing categories that are really not, you know, that really are doing a lot more harm than good, right? And giving people a healthy alternative that doesn't sacrifice on flavour. So now the new goal for the next three to four years is become the biggest sugar-free or natural Australian brand. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's the pivot for us. Awesome. Mm. I think about it, and if I went to that part of the freezer, if because I don't know, I'm, I'm not too sure if there is that many alternatives out there, but certainly not for icy poles. No, no, mate. And that's the other thing too, right? Bev's so com- competitive, like super competitive. I think uh, last month alone, 28, 28 pre prebiotic soda brands came on the market, attacking shelf space. Right? Oh, twenty eight brands. Right. But really, that's a Band-Aid solution to kombucha, mm. right? It's a prebiotic soda. Soda, you know, kombucha works on some of the same elements. So it's like a Band-Aid solution, that pivot. And what they're going to do is they're all just going to rival for that space. But Famous is still sitting... Like a Band-Aid solution for that company. For kombucha, right? Right, Because yeah. really, it's, it's technically very similar, but they're just changing the brand message a little bit, right? Yeah. But, you know, consumers are getting pretty smart and pretty switched on. They're looking at ingredients, quality ingredients, its origins, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like really it's just a Band-Aid solution. They're putting soda on it so they've got more commercial value and they're not in the, I guess, that trend-based category anymore. They're now like, oh, well, we can do our product for everybody. Let's just put soda on the front of it. Sure. It's the same product, just with a different name, really, in essence. And consumers are just too savvy for that, so... Bro, he gave me a sample pack of the um, the icy poles oh, the other yeah. day. They're yeah. fucking sick, mad. So like, uh, it was it was a. I, as soon as he gave them to me, I'm like, Saturday afternoon when we're gardening, usually like the whole fam's outside. It's you know it's hot summer whatever. I'm like icy poles, and we did it the other day. It was so much fun, and yeah. just just eating them. You know, like you when you first cut the top off the icy pole, it kind of doesn't go. It's you don't get any. Like it doesn't move. Yeah. So then you got to bite. You bite yeah. the top bit, and but then after a couple minutes, it frees up. And you can start to get it out, and then you're squeezing the. Oh, it was mad. I'm ready. I'm ready for them. My yeah. kids love them. And mate, back to your point. There's only three or four competitors in that space, mate. Right? It's a great so idea. That's why we pivoted. 
Yeah. In the gummy space, we 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 tried that space, and unfortunately, with sugar-free confectionery, there's um there's a, there's an ingredient that you have to use malutol, right? Because it's a liquid-based sort of sweetener, um, but it's a diuretic. Now we launched previously launched a brand that, brand that was thirty percent less malutol than any of the other brands out there, but the problem is malutol overconsumption makes you shit yourself. Okay. Right. So all your listeners out there don't eat, don't eat any of the sugar-free confectionery out in the market because too much, you're in trouble. So it's a natural diuretic. But in, a, in America, you can claim it as a, as a diuretic so it can sit in a different space and people consume it, right? When in Australia, you can't claim that. Right. So really, it's on the packet overconsumption, you're in trouble. So we've been working tirelessly because uh, we have a manufacturing plant. Korea is working, developing this product so we can come out that something doesn't sacrifice on flavour that's under our brand message, Bloody delicious doesn't sacrifice on flavour, but also doesn't have this, you know, this this effect. So, yeah, we're we're, we're going to launch both those products in Jan, which is super exciting. And mate, yeah, I think that's the next. That's the evolution of our brand now. We're we're plus five years. It's time to shake it up again. You know, mad. Mm. So tell tell us in earnest when uh, when you're talking to someone about you know when you're hanging out with one of your mates or something, and you're like, oh, you know, career whatever, you're dropping some of these these wins that you t- and. Or maybe they just say it, but someone's like, mate, Famous is fucking killing it. You must be stoked. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, fuck, mate. Famous is everywhere. You must be killing it. And I'm You've still made pu- it. I'm still pulling up my $22,000 van. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wearing the same T-shirt for the last year. And it's like, bro, but you're everywhere. You're killing it. Yeah, it's just unfortunately the investment, because as we noted before, it's a small country. So the, we're, we're, I've got a 10-year strategy, so my strategy is different. I'm not just trying to make bank and put it, you know, drive fancy cars and all that. I'm trying to create this brand and this product and look for an acquisition down the track, right? So there's there's a lot of investment that we put back into our categories and our, our space. So in terms of education, in terms of marketing, in terms of all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, my strategy is a little bit different. I'm not just – this is not like the quick win, bank dollars. Um, so we're investing a lot above the line to be – to make a statement like we want to become the number one sugar-free or natural company uh, or let's call it brand in the country takes a lot of investment takes a lot of education takes a lot of hard work so yeah listen we've got a we've very, we've got a very healthy business we've been profitable since year two just after the financial year two which is unheard of pretty much but we're investing heavily so you know we're not we're not we're not living frivolously or doing any of this sort of stuff we're investing in in this space and we're investing in this product to hopefully have you know, that desired outcome in another four or five years' time. Go deeper on that and tell us, Tell us. you know, you, you touched on it before, seven days a week. Yep. I know when we spend time together, you, you're copping phone calls, emails, text yep. messages constantly. Yeah, what's what's the reality of it like being at the helm of famous, famous or such a size business? Yeah, the, the reality is because we have a very small team, I don't have a, a lot of staff. I have consultants. So I have third-party consultants that work on sections of my business. I've got my mother and I. I've got a customer service girl. I've got one sales rep and a CFO. So a company of our size should probably have five or six sales reps, uh, you know, a financial controller, a handful of consultants, and you know, a big marketing agency, maybe a social media team. Um, so it should probably have about double, double the employees that we probably currently have. So that's a lot. We take a lot on because, as I said, we invest a lot in our category. We invest a lot in above the line trying to be that number one brand. So it's a lot. And, and the other thing is doing, you know, we've had to expand out of Australia because there's not enough business in Australia. There, there's enough to be 
comfortable, but we've got a different mission, right? We want to we want to be the biggest brand on this side of the world. We want to be one of the biggest brands on this side of the world in terms of that sugar-free or natural space. So when you're working on th- – the, the hard thing is when you get to the level that we're at, the stage we're at, you're working on three different time zones. I'm doing America 8 till 10. You know, Then you've got Asia, you know, five or six different time zones that you've got to work within. Then you've got Australia, and then you're taking on probably a little bit too much uh, in terms of your domestic market. But recently, I just put on a really cool consultancy um, firm that are going to help do a lot of the heavy lifting here because, as I said to you guys before, I've got one foot in, one foot out in America. I don't know if I'm going to pursue it because I don't want to get into this whole investment, answering to a board, just getting to that age at 42. And, you know, I don't know if I really want to do that. You know, I don't want to answer to the man kind of thing. Have that pressure. You know, like, it's a lot to take on. and Because yeah. just on that, on the investment piece, those people that have invested – want returns don't they yeah so they're putting the heat on you like to perform yeah so they they're the initial money in for the u.s would be production marketing 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 and setting up the right strategic team i you have a vp of sales um you'd probably be putting in a cfo um a strategic ground team right because strategic selling and merchandising team that'd be very imperative so they know that'd be the first money but their, the investment would be investment in the whole business. So they would be taking a percentage of the whole business, right, which is obviously all our hard work on this side of the world for the last five and a half, six years. So that that is because we don't have much of a history in America. Um, to get money in, we would lose too much equity, right, in our, in our American entity because there's not a lot of trading history. So they take a percentage of everything. I don't know if I want to have partners in what I've created with my, my mother and I have created – and bring that in and bring that into our fold. We've got a good thing going, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you desire to have the, all this money and all this sort of stuff as you get older gets less and less and less and you have a more realistic kind of view of where you want to be, how you see yourself and what it looks like, you know what I mean? You get it's more, you have a more a little bit more of a humble kind of understanding of what's really going to make you happy. Um, or do you think you start, as you get older, you start to appreciate the... It's the it's the time, yeah. Time, family, Happiness, friends, yeah. You know, a good sleep. You know what I mean. Entertaining friends, being able to go to wedding, being able to you know, being able to go to birthdays on the weekend, be able to just do the simple stuff. You know, God willing, I you know have kids in the next few years. Be able to walk, take them to school in the morning. Yeah, mate, that's like you know that's that's the dream, right? So yeah, a very different dream to what you have when you're in your early twenties. Yeah, God, you want to set the world on fire. Yeah, you want to take everything. You know what I mean? It just changes. That's why jujitsu is a good thing for me. Jujitsu is very humbling. You know what I mean? And it's very there's something about jujitsu that's very similar to that business thing. You never know what you're going to get. There's always going to be a struggle. There's always going to be a new thing to learn. You're always going to have be kind of keep humble and hardworking to sort of progress and all that. That's why that's that sport. I think's been good for me too. And then we share that common bond, obviously. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about like what you know. You mentioned you have the different time zones for the for the different countries you're dealing with. Do you ever get? Do you get to switch off? Like, can you can you you know shut your phone off or can you put on do not disturb? Do you get you know? Hey, I'm going to chill out with my missus tonight, or is it? Are you actually on the go all the time? Yeah, yeah, like. Up until the last twelve months, I'd say probably on the go all the time. But I think my partner, my partner's really, she's trying. She's instilling in me that you know, like 
if you, if you keep going in this direction, it's just an unhealthy direction. And at the end of the day, you've got to focus on what's in front of you, not just what's around you. And your business is what's around you. But what in front of you is your family and your friends and your health and your own personal time and your own mental health, right? Uh, and that's that's got to be that's got to be the number one. That's got to be the number one factor. That's that's the most important thing, right? Because that drives everything. The people that are around you and support you are your pillars. They hold you up. Your health, your ability to function properly, correctly at a high capacity is all driven from health and looking after yourself, your mental health, your physical health and all of that too. And sometimes you lose sight of that. Like you'll go to training every night and you'll just go through the struggles and the battles and the this and that because it's your routine. But you really need to dial in on it if you're going to be successful. And meditation is a big thing, like taking 20 minutes out and going somewhere still is, is, was something that I've sort of started to practice and that's helped me a bit. But yeah, I think you know my partner's been a big driver in making that a reality because when you're in business with your family, you're all in this common goal and this common train, and you're trying to be successful. And you're doing it for each other, and you're battling. And but having a partner that you know, you know, you you're this fiance that you genuinely cares about your well-being, your health, your lifestyle, your lifestyle together, and all that. I think that's a big driving force to more focus on what's in front of you than what's around you. What do you think? This is a question for both you guys. What do you think that? <coughs> That thing is with that we you know we all we're all here from Sydney we're all in small business we're all like you know we all embrace a grind mentality right like we we can default we default to that very easily overworking neglecting other things in your life if you know your own personal health relationships because it's like the fucking business needs me right now like you know I I know it in myself I'm so like when shit needs to be done I'm like I'm all in mm. what do you think that is like why um because I, I personally find that a very hard thing to like that's a real grapple um on the day-to-day to be like no man like you've fucking done enough those feelings of like i haven't been productive enough today or just another hour or you know whatever it is talk to me about your thoughts on that oh it's probably it's probably a fork in the road when it comes to entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs people who are happy to work for the men who aren't and there's probably a trade in us that fucking whatever it is, chip on the shoulder, something to prove, really want to do it ourselves and, and prove to our families or the world that, you know, we can make a difference and we can do something. And I think it's just that inherent thing, which is why small business owners, when you walk into a cafe, appreciate the cafe for a small business owner. And we always have that nod because we just, this, it's a type of fabric that we're made of. So when it comes to like the thing, like you're not going to drop the ball. Or you're always going to go for the next thing and, yeah, you'll take that late phone call or whatever that is. I think it's something that's inherent in the in the, in choosing this path. Yeah, to be honest, I kind of had a lot much more than that. It's so, it's so true. It's inherent in you like you are that individual, you're not that individual. And sometimes it can be driven by culture and where you come from mm. and the people that you grow up around and who you surround yourself with and stuff. But I think it's inherent. You are that person or not that person is – I completely 100% agree with that point. That's – it you are that person or you are not that person and the people you know i don't know how to be any other way to tell you the truth that's the thing i just don't know how to be any other way so it's just it just is who i am it's my it's my genetic makeup you know it's just who i am do you think that um it has a lot to do with the time already invested in entrepreneurialism so like say for us like all around 40 you you know, by by your own standards, you haven't made it yet. 
So it's like, well, I put in the last 20 years into this shit, so I'm fucking getting mine. Like, you know, so, you, yeah. so you're, you're so determined. And, and Yeah, do you think that that plays a big part? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, it's always a battle. It's always a fight. It's a scrap. I haven't quite got there. I haven't quite got there. Yeah. I live on this dime. I haven't quite got there. I'm nearly there. I haven't quite got there. It's just over that hill. Yeah. The rainbow, the goal, it's just there. You know what I mean? You don't know where there is either, do you? Yeah. No, like you, I mean, you know, it's not where you are right now, but mm. but mm. you don't know, but you don't like if you couldn't articulate. Well, how much is it actually per year? No. Where you know wh- what does your life look like? No, subconsciously, you're always just you're always nearly there. Like you're at this stage now, at our stage, it's just there. It's just there. Your subconscious, it's just building you. You know, what I mean, just this one more, just just do this. Yeah, I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to sell this. I'm just going to open up this. I'm just going to do that. It's just yeah, I think it's part just. of that. On. Yeah, it's that makeup of us. I just think it's just who we are. And you're not going back. There's no other option. Nah. Well, no. Well, that would be failure, right? Like in our eyes. Yeah. You know, like if we were to go back to old jobs or if you were to like, you know what, man, this, this, this Jungle Brothers thing, it's cool, but fuck, I'm going to go get a job working for someone else's gym. You know, it's just like no fucking way. Like I'm making this shit work. I think it's such an – I just think it's a very fascinating chat because it's so um, – yeah, like it's anyone that's in small business knows this grind. And I think that it's so like we would all agree that it's such a noble thing to pursue. But it's it's it can also be very damaging. And you feel that and you have those times when it is somewhat damaging, maybe to a relationship or to your personal health or whatever it is. And you're like, fuck, I got to get on top of that. And, and hopefully those experiences make you better. Sometimes those, you know, you see it with friends that it'll, it'll force someone out and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm done with that chapter. And that's, you know, that's great. Um, but it's also like with a, with a business like yours, Pillin, where it's of such size and like I, you know, I went into a cafe in Mullumbimby the other week and there's your soda sitting in the mm, fridge. Yeah. I go into Coles and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing all the big brands, Tim Tams, what fucking cabin. Oh fuck! There's famous soda like like it's a big brand. You know, you're there. You've been on Sunrise and shit. It's like mm. from that perspective, your business has made it. And I do, I think it's just very easy for people to see that from the outside and just not understand at all the grind that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, and the grind's real and it doesn't stop. It's it's forever a grind for sure. And you've just got to you got to be up for it. But I think that the pivotal thing is like when, when looking at your business, understand what your opportunity cost is. Like, what are you missing out on? Like, what's it costing you on this journey? What and just be honest with yourself on that journey. What really makes you happy? You know, and if if, if you're not passionate about it, you don't want to be on. You don't want to be on that journey. And what it's not, it's not giving you any value. It's not filling you. You know, in a certain way. Then I think that's your time to lay down, lay down your tools and and find something else that is going to make you happy because. You know, being happy and you know, making the, making people around you the most important to you happy as well, and creating a happy environment and a good lifestyle for yourself has got to be fundamental. Yeah, because it's it's way more. There's way more than just the dollar costing you. How it's much? so much more than that. So if you're just doing it for the money only, yeah. then you're losing straight away. You're soulless. Yeah, you're yeah. soulless. Like it's just that's not that's not a good path mm. at all. That's, that's not a winning path. No way. Do you ever take time to? sit and reflect and be grateful for the successes you've had no Ac- yeah never i was gonna say like I, actually I, yeah actually so everybody say yeah yeah i sit back so oh, i can't believe i did that i don't have time to say i can't believe that happened i can't believe i did that there's no time in the day for that but it's something i'm very conscious of and it's something i need to do more of 
because it allows you to enjoy the journey more instead of just like it's a constant battle, constant grind, as you said before. You enjoy the journey more if you reflect because those some of those reflections will, you know, wow, we look where we were in, you know, 2020 March, for example, struggling to keep, you know, struggling, you know, whatever it might be as an example. And then two months later, you got to, you know, you got to deal with all these 1,100 stores. You know, you got in Harris Farm, you got into all these other stores and all these vendors you've been working on. It's just like that month was a complete turn of the key. And you got to reflect on those moments and appreciate those moments because one, you're never going to get them probably again. And, and two, they really change the nature of your business and, you know, they change the nature of the opportunities and the things you could do as a business in terms of more marketing, better opportunities, you know, get some key employees in. You've got to reflect on those moments. You've got to, you've got to, Let's, let's say embrace those moments because that's all you have as an entrepreneur is those moments because you ain't banking big dollars on this journey towards an acquisition. You ain't living frivolously. You ain't doing all this on shoestring budgets because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about bootstrapping. You've got to enjoy those moments because that's the one thing that you have. So, yeah. So are you looking for an acquisition in five years? You said you had a five-year sort of exit strategy. Yeah, we've got an exit strategy, but I think it's more – Unfortunately, in our in our game, it's more about getting an exit strategy. It's more about an acquisition. We don't. It's it's more about yeah. That's kind of the goal, I guess, um, and that's what we're definitely working towards as a business. But that that exit strategy could look a lot of different ways. Like I could stay involved in the business and take a less percentage. You know, it could be a complete buyout. They could buy out two of the three arms. You know, obviously, what confectionery soda pops. Um, and the drinks, you know, it, it could look a lot of different ways and I could stay involved. I, I struggle with – I've been asked this question a lot lately about can you just do nothing? Can you just sit around and do things? Well, so I wouldn't do nothing. I'd be going to jiu-jitsu more. I'd be training more. I'd be, you know, spending more time with my, you know, my dog. I'd be, you know, hopefully we have kids, be a bit of a stay-at-home dad, consult. I'd just be a little bit more low-key in my approach. But yeah, an acquisition could look a lot of different ways for me now. It's not about just getting a big number. It's about whatever's going to improve my lifestyle um, and improve the life of my, my partner and my family. That's, that's you know, it, it's a lot of different ways that that could probably look for me now. Exciting times. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. What would your um, super generic question, but always a goodie, what would, your, what would your advice be to someone setting off, you know, earlier on the timeline they have this big idea, they want to do the thing in whatever industry, what would your advice be to someone like that? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people have uh, conceptually have a lot of great ideas, but they don't really do their research. I think the, the most pivotal thing for me is I always, I do a lot of, you know, like not so much trend forecasting, but I do a lot of sort of strategic analysis on other people in that in that space or, or or that category where's where's it come from where's it going what does it look like now what are the opportunities moving forward i do a real breakdown of where i want to enter and what my entry point is i would say one recommendation i would say for people bootstrapping don't be the first to market be the second or third to market being the first to market there's a lot of money in there that needs to be done in terms of education and driving people to the category and driving people to the opportunity so always let one or two brands come before you, learn from their learnings, learn from their mistakes, really do a deep dive into to those competitors and understand where you add value and what your unique selling points and how you're special. Uh, and then my second thing would be always 
you know, this is going to sound a bit cheesy, but it's very important to, you can't do it on your own. It's very important to involve yourself and have partnerships where other people add value and strengths that aren't naturally your strengths that your business needs. And whether that means giving up a little bit of equity or getting somebody in strategically or joining forces with somebody that has some know-how or some intellectual property in that industry or something is also very important. Um, Would you suggest family or friends in the way that you've done it, in the way that we have? No, probably not. But my experience is different because – and your experience is different because we've managed to make it work and keep our relationships tight, right? So – I find that very rare. I don't see that very often. I think we're probably some very rare cases. Um, yeah, so that that's a tough one. I can't really advise you how to go forward on it because what's the other opportunity? You take money from some guy you don't know or you go to a bank and they've got you by the balls or you know, how do you advise somebody really on that because you don't really know the ins and out of them, uh, ins yeah. and out of that individual and the strengths of their relationships or their environment or people around them. Um, but yeah, I'd say really do your research being first to market is very expensive. You know, make sure you understand your category. Um, make sure you understand where your unique selling points are, how you're different, how you're special, and be prepared to always learn. Like a lot of people just go in there with a mindset that I'm better, I'm bigger, I can do this, I can do that. For me, for me, every day is a constant learning and it's about constantly improving and constantly being better and, and knowing that I don't have all the answers and knowing that, I need to improve to be great and to be successful and I need to continually educate myself um, and be honest with myself that I don't have all the answers and we can always be better and always making improvements. Just strive to be better every day. It's very important. I would imagine a lot of folks would hear that and think, yeah, that's me. Like I strive to be better and I'm always open to learning and stuff. But from my observation, most of us aren't very good at actually learning things, right? Like we're not good at just listening or asking questions where we can actually capture some some true knowledge from an individual in front of us what what do you see as qualities dealing with for yourself but also some of the people that you've dealt with and been in business with and i'm thinking of your mom as well Mm. um what are some of the characteristics that those people have that enable them to consistently learn and develop yeah, one, one thing I learned from coming from a bit of a sales background is one, you're in a sales background, you're always the first person in a room to talk, give your opinion and pitch something. When you're, when you're surrounded by some pretty you know, intelligent individuals, you know, let's call specialists in their field, some, some, some smart cats, right? Learn to be the last person in the room that talks. Learn to take away all the information from those individuals, decipher it all and then put that in a box and figure out from that information what works best for you, Right? A lot of entrepreneurs will go sit at seminars and do all this sort of stuff and self-help books and all this sort of jazz. But, you know, for me, I like to surround myself with other brand owners, other brand builders, other people going through the struggle. And we all have different learnings. We've all had different ups and downs. It's really important to learn what works and what doesn't work. And it's really about just being quiet and taking in that information and not... A lot of people come to me and ask me, you know, oh, mate, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? Oh, I'm starting this brand. I'm starting to do that. I really just listen to what their learnings have been and what their journey's been like and, and where they're at now. And from that experience, I'm taking a lot in, but they're coming to me for information, but I'm taking so much information in from those experiences. And I always open my door to everybody who's, you know, oh, mate, I've seen famous around. I just want to have a 20 minute chat with you. Always open my door up to those experiences. Cause I learn a lot from those individuals, even if they've been doing it for two weeks, there's always a learning in that situation. So I've learned 
very much to be the individual in the room that sits there and speaks, you know, only when it's of value and really taking taking that information from others because there's a lot of learning to be done in those situations. Yeah, so getting good at listening. Yeah, very much. It's very important. Very, very important. Um, and I'm pretty humble in the sense that I, I constantly are going in a trade where a lot of blokes in my position won't be going in a trade like I was in Mullumbimby last week, as I told you, Casino, Bathurst the week before. I'm constantly in trade just doing selling and at the... I guess at the core of my business um, and I'm seeing new brands pop up new that and I'm not taking the approach oh mate look at this this is shit you know like a lot of brand owners will do that I'm taking a look at it and I'm breaking it down and what are they doing better that we're not doing I'm constantly challenging myself to be better I was to my point before and just being humble about it you know just because I might be the leader in my space doesn't mean that there's not a hundred things that I could be doing better there's not this brands I'm becoming that can inspire me can you know, can and I'll reach out to those brands. Like I have no problem having those conversations. You know, like it's just taking that approach just opens up a whole way of thinking. And yeah, I just think that for me has been really pivotal. Mate, amazing. Thank you for sharing your your little journey with famous thus far with us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Is there um, you know, people can follow it. Where's it at? Instagram, you want to plug anything? Yeah, guys, just log on log on to the uh, website. We're always doing some really cool shit on the website, you know, famoussotoco.com. Uh, in Woolies at the moment, if you go into Woolies for another month, there's a chance to win a $10,000 holiday. Decent. Yeah, which is cool. So we've done something with Luxury Escapes. We partner with them. Go in, buy a, a bottle of pink lemonade or, or, or passion fruit. Uh, mate, go in the draw to win till January to win a $10,000 holiday. So that's pretty cool. Um, also, what we're doing in this month, which is something very important to us, which I'd always love to give a plug to, is we're one of the major sponsors for breast cancer awareness. So every time you pick up a bottle of pink lemonade, uh, it goes to a charity. It's you know not a charity, it goes to a fund, North, uh, you know, breast cancer awareness foundation, which is very important to our hearts because we've lost a lot of women in in, in our sort of family um, from that that horrible disease. So you know, if you can pick up a bottle of pink lemonade wherever you are, that'll really help us. Uh, write a bigger check for them in February. Um, and yeah, just thanks for listening and, you know, reach out if I can help anybody with anything. Awesome. I hope you um, can get a bottle of champagne and crack it open this Christmas and do a bit of reflection with your mum because I really love what you've done. And yeah, it's, it's cool. I learned a lot today and just knowing a bit more about the journey there is just like, yeah, hats off to what you've achieved so far. Mate, vice versa, boys. You know, that's why I keep coming back here because I love this joint. You guys have done a great job too. So, mate, thanks for having me. And... um yeah, Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas, fam. Pillum, when you get to the top, just remember that we had you on the podcast, all right? Absolutely. This <laughs> is where God. I broke my bread. That's where everybody got to know who I was. Guys, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please do us a favor, share the episode with a friend. Leave us a five-star review on uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Helps us support the show, and um, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>